Welcome to Go Get Great, the podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs and ambitious small business owners. I'm your host, Brittany, owner of Brittany Miller Socials and mother of three. Go Get Great is all about helping you make life and business work together. You'll learn about the fumbles that helped get me and my guests to where we are today so you don't have to make them. So come join the journey with Go Get Great. Good morning, everyone. I am thrilled as always to be welcoming another guest to the go get great podcast today i have julie walter joining us she is the owner of family yields and is a certified teacher with years of experience in the classroom a degree in fine arts and longtime homeschooler julie brings a wealth of experience to her learning pod she has taught students from kindergarten to grade 10 including roles as a student librarian and specialized education resource teacher She also has taken on specialized roles such as teaching in art schools, technology lab instructors at a provincial demonstration school for students with severe learning disabilities, teaching a forest school pilot program, and her most recent role teaching gifted education. She currently teaches a forest school program on her farm in Ontario, where she combines what she has learned in classrooms and more importantly, importantly, through homeschooling within a small community of children. Julie also has an online presence as Family Yields, where she inspires and coaches parents and homeschoolers on how to create more integrated and sustainable family lives. She is also the host of the Family Yields podcast. So I am so excited to welcome Julie today. I know we are going to have a fantastic conversation about all things uh, homeschooling to help you decide whether or not that is something that you would like to do for your family and see how it may fit in. So good morning, Julie, and welcome to the Go Get Great podcast. I did a little mini intro for you just a second ago, but I would love for you to introduce yourself in your own words to our listeners before we dive in today. Sure. Um, I'm Julie Walter. I am the person behind Family Yields. I love to talk about all things family, from parenting to homeschooling. And then the important part to me is like the inner work required to Mm -hmm. show up well for both of those things. So I kind of talk Mm -hmm. about all three things together. And an important thing in my work actually is my investment in permaculture, which is a design Mm -hmm. system which started as gardens, right? It started in farming Mm -hmm. and sustainable food systems. Uh, But then the work I do is called social permaculture, where I take those sustainable systems ideas and I am applying them to family systems, educational systems, and our life system as a whole. So that's kind of the framework that I come from and what I talk about. So if I talk a little bit about that today, um, that's just because that's kind of the schema uh, with which I view things. So yeah. Okay. Makes sense. So you have experience in a lot of different areas then because you came from kind of a a teaching background, correct? That's right. Yeah. So I taught in public education for 16 years, um, which is a lot of years. Um, Actually, it's pretty recent that I got out of that. So that's very much a part of what my work is related to schooling and education and homeschooling is having a foot in kind of both worlds because I've always homeschooled my own kids and my oldest is now 13. Um, But Mm -hmm. then also I taught in the school system at the same time. So that's been a pretty interesting journey um, and Mm -hmm. a lot of fun to watch that kind of unfold in tandem as I was teaching Mm -hmm. in the classroom and then watching how things were going at home. Yeah, I can imagine. How did you balance that at the same time? 
Well, it's interesting because you think, okay, well, it should look a certain way, right? That's how our brains work is like, okay, Mm -hmm. if you're teaching in the classroom and you're homeschooling, how do those two worlds go together? Mm -hmm. And this is where kind of creativity comes in. I was not full-time in the classroom at all times when I was there. So I did have part-time roles during some of those years, Uh, especially Mm -hmm. when my kids were little. I was teaching sort of like a 60% compliment. So I would teach, Mm -hmm. you know, part of the day and then be home in the afternoons. My husband also was working part-time at some of those times. Sometimes we called on family. So my kids were watched by grandparents, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I think at first glance, it's like, well, how's that possible, right? Like, how mm-hmm. can you do both things? And I think what it really takes is just a little bit of loosening about what we think it should look like, right? Okay. What should homeschooling look like? What should it look like to be working, you know, a day job? Because my kids were not sitting at a table from 9 to 3.30 like kids do at school. That's just not Mm -hmm. how we handled the homeschooling. So if you can adjust your view of what you would like from that experience, then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden a lot more opportunity opens up to you. So what did homeschooling look like for you then? At that time when I was working, it looked like not a whole lot of formal book work, right? So it wasn't a lot of sitting at tables and doing it still doesn't um, because that's just not how we homeschool our kids. But we did more on the weekends, right? So traditionally you would think, oh, well, kids should be in school Monday to Friday. Well, interestingly, we would do things on the weekends, like we'd have book work time on the weekends. Uh, Mm -hmm. We would have book work time sometimes in the afternoon when I'd get home early from work. And then often in the summer would be when we'd kind of kick it into high gear. So when I wasn't with my students, then I would be with my children And the surprising thing to a lot of people who don't homeschool is that you can get through a lot of material in a very little amount of time because Mm -hmm. you are interfacing one-to-one with a child. So instead of, as a teacher, broadcasting to everybody, like, oh, okay, this Mm -hmm. is what you should know, and then they kind of pick up what they can and you have to all do all of the work, you can Mm -hmm. really change and adapt your programming to meet the child. So I teach exactly what my kid needs to know When they get through that, we move on to the next thing. So we don't waste a lot of time. I'll skip ahead in books. We'll fast track. Uh, When it's going well, we go fast. If it's not going well, we slow right down. Uh, So there's just a lot more flexibility, similar to entrepreneurship, right? It's like when you are in your own business, that's what you do. And so interestingly, when you asked me to be on this, I was like, oh, I kind of like it because the crossover (laughs) between the entrepreneurial mindset And the Mm -hmm. homeschoolers mindset can actually be very similar, right? It's like when we kind of open ourselves up to possibility and like, oh, okay, I can do things different. I don't have to work nine to five Monday to Friday. I can, Mm -hmm. you know, do my work 7 p.m. because that's when the baby goes down, right? It's like we can change Mm -hmm. those stories and those systems that already exist and we can make up our own rules. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love most about it and how I was able to make it work. All right. So, how long would you say? you spent on average actually homeschooling, like actually working on different tasks with your kids? Well, that's a difficult question for me to answer (laughs) because I don't, I fall more towards unschooling, which for those people who don't know much about homeschooling, it means basically breaking down that idea of what school should be. So for Mm -hmm. us, school is life. Life is school. We did do some book work in the early days more so because my kids were learning how to read and fundamentals Mm -hmm. of math and things like that. And I found just having that little bit of structure helped us kind of jump through some of the hoops of like, this is how you sound out a word, right? Like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
But the longer that we've been doing it, the less and less it looks like school. And the more and more it looks like life and living and pursuing what is igniting passion in us and desire, Mm. right? Similar to that entrepreneurial mindset where it's like, oh, I'm doing this because I love it and I can't stop. And I want to provide this to the world. It's like, Mm -hmm. we're actually instilling that in our kids as we're homeschooling them. So it's like Mm -hmm. they are, their education is in exactly what they're desiring to do. Okay. What that looks like is like, okay, so now at 13, my son is really into coding. He really likes uh, learning about video game rendering. So he's learning Blender. He's teaching it to himself. He's gotten out like, you know, how to do Blender for dummies from the library. So he's he's teaching himself because he has desire to do it. If I had put him in a classroom and said, hey, you got to learn coding and you got to read this book that's literally this fat, you know, four inches thick. And I said, you know, sit down and learn that. And I want you to produce a particular project. You would get backlash. But because mm-hmm. he wants to do it, because he has that desire and he wants the output, he's willing mm-hmm. to put in the work, right? So that's mm-hmm. what I mean by, you know, school and life are kind of intertwined. And and the more we do it, the more it gets like that, where it's kind of hard to tease apart, like what is school, what is not school. Currently, I would say like I push my children a little bit to do book work still because I do find that there's merit, like I would like them to have good quality writing skills. I would like them to have good uh, math computation. Some unschoolers do nothing, right? Absolutely no book work at all, but we do uh, a little bit. So we run a homeschool pod on our property. And so that's three days a week. And so during those three days, my children sit with me for 30 minutes. So very, very minimal, right? So that's like an hour and a half where they're doing that. Wow. I have so many questions, but uh, (laughs) I want to start with what is a learning pod? Sure. That's also a loaded question uh, because they don't all look the same. Um, A learning learning pod is essentially a school alternative. So Mm -hmm. it's not a private school and it's not a, a public school. It's run by whoever, right? Sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's a teacher that starts it. And it's kind of like a private little group of people who get together and say, hey, this is what we're about. And this is what we want to learn. And here's where we're going to learn in this group. Mm. And so you all get together and you do your version of school. So some learning pods will follow like curriculum from the local school board. Our Mm -hmm. learning pod, we consider to be a homeschool enrichment program because we're only three days a week. Um, so families are teaching what they would like to teach at home. And then we just do math and language in that 30 minutes over three days. Mm -hmm. We're really alternative. Like most learning pods are kind of trying to, in my opinion, and what I've seen out there, they're trying to emulate school, but in an environment that's maybe less kids, a little more, more home-like, uh, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. So it really depends what the learning pod is, what you, what you get from it. Uh, like ours is forest school based. So we do a lot of outdoor education. We're on the land a lot mm-hmm. in the woods and, and whatnot, doing all kinds of things. <laughs> so it can, it can really, it really depends on who's running it. Okay. So <laughs> sorry, I can't give I you very like, clear answers. <laughs> no, that's okay. I was just like, I have so many questions about homeschooling because, or just like alternative schools in general, like what are my options if I decide that public school or Catholic school, the traditional school system is not the best fit for my family and my children. Um, and I've done a little bit of research, but I feel like there are probably listeners that haven't. So I'm just trying to figure out where's best to start for them. 
Right. I'm assuming you kind of have more experience in this area talking to parents that are like, okay, well, we're not sure this is a good fit, but like, we don't really know what we don't know. Where do we start? Right. Depends where you live, I guess would be what I would okay. say first. You need to know what your constraints are. Um, different mm. places in Canada even have different rules about what you have to do. So for example, if you live on the mm. West Coast, you, there's like homeschooling, can't remember the word, uh, like coaches, like a homeschool coach. And they come into your house, okay. like from the school board to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, um, I live in Ontario. Ontario is very liberal in terms of, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but just uh, you don't have any restrictions at all. I can do whatever I want to educate my children and there's no governing body and there's nobody checking up on me. Okay. okay. So the first step I would say for parents is figure out what's happening where you are. Okay. Cause different States in the United States have different recommend, mm. like different legal requirements as well. So the place to find out that information is hslda.org stands for homeschooling legal defense association.org. Um, and that is an organization which helps parents basically fight for their right to homeschool their children. Um, mm -hmm. So it starts with like, what are your responsibilities as a homeschool parent? And then once you know that for your province um, and country, then you can go from there. As far as options are concerned, you have homeschooling, which is like huge. There's many, many different ways to homeschool from running a curriculum, just like you would in a school to unschooling would be kind of the other end of that spectrum. And like I mentioned earlier, there are unschoolers who do a lot less than we do even, uh, where it's just mm -hmm. kind of like the child decides what they want to do when they want to do it. And there's no formal instruction in any subject area. And then you have homeschool pods, you have private schools. There are also learning co-ops like homeschool co-ops. You can find out about what's happening in your area. Uh, what a co-op means is that the parents are actually doing the programming. So you get together with a bunch of different families and maybe like, once a year, you have to put on an event and all the parents who are part of the co-op do that. So then you end up with, you know, 12, 15 events happening in the year. And then okay. those events become part of um, the kids schema or like what they're doing together. And then they have a social group of kids that they meet together with regularly. I know there mm -hmm. are church groups out there that do have like homeschooling programs with, through religious denominations. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of options. It really depends what's wow. available where you live. I would say like a good place to start is like get on to like a local Facebook group. That's like easy. Like who's, who, you know, who, what groups available in your area? And then you start asking questions on there and you can find out kind of who the local groups are and you'll find out what's kind of suited, suitable for your family. So suppose you decide that homeschooling or alternative learning through a learning pod or something like that is for you. What is your next steps kind of in that process? Do you like notify the school? Do you like go out and buy a whole bunch of school supplies? <laughs> that would be me. I could handle this shopping, the logistics of the rest of it, maybe not so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you are currently registered in a school in Ontario, you must notify the school board that you, you intend to homeschool. So that's called the letter of intent. Okay. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest, how it works in different provinces because I've never interfaced with them directly. Mm -hmm. And none of my clients have asked me that question. So I don't know. But generally, if you give a call to the school board and just say, hey, we're going to pull our kids, what do we need to provide to you? They will tell you. 
Okay. But yeah, in Ontario, once your child has been registered, you must provide this letter of intent annually just to mm-hmm. say, yep, we're going to homeschool. Yep, we're going to homeschool. For us, my kids never went to school. They were never registered in the public system. So we don't do anything. I don't have to let no. anybody know. We're just kind of flying under the radar. And that's totally what you do. That's <laughs> that's just how it's happening. So it, it really depends on your, again, your province or mm-hmm. or state, I suppose, where you are and what the legal requirements are there. But if your child is in school, you do have to let them know. Otherwise, you get uh, calls about attendance, right? It's like, <laughs> why isn't your child coming? Because there's a, like a regulatory body for attendance. Uh, so you kind of trigger something there and then you'll get you'll get calls. But I think, you know, with anything, it's like if that happened and that kind of tripwire got ticked off, then you would just let them know at that point. I don't think that makes sense. Okay. That doesn't sound as scary as I thought it would be. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) not here anyway. Like Ontario is very, very lax. Okay. Well, that is nice. That makes it easier. And also scarier, right? Like the flip side of that, if you're on the West coast and you have, you know, a homeschooling coach or whatever, checking in on you every once in a while, like, Oh, okay. I'm doing okay. And you know, Mm. my kids are doing okay. It's like, if we take off all of those training wheels, sometimes it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm now I'm responsible for all this stuff. And I don't even, can I do this? Right. And all those kind of self-doubt things come, come up. And I would just, I would caution parents to watch that, that thinking and where the root of that thinking is because that's school thinking. Um, And what I'll tell you, what I'll tell you is when I went through teacher's college, I learned how to manage a class. Mm -hmm. I learned how to write a lesson plan. Mm-hmm. I learned how to get up in front of a group of kids and make it work. I wrote a whole lot of reflections. That was a big part of our program. But I did not get taught a whole lot about how to teach math, how to teach language, right? Like I took a course oh. called that, but I, I wouldn't say it was very effective. I would say I learned most of what I do on the job, practicing with kids. And parents often think, oh, I can't, I'm not a teacher. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not true. That would be like your entrepreneurial self being like, well, I can't, I can't run a pod. I don't have training in podcasting. I can't do a podcast. Well, who says, try it, start it, start up your mic, let her rip, right? Like you don't, you don't learn it until you do it. You kind of got to jump into the deep end and let yourself flounder a bit. You know, your kids will forgive you. Also, they have a lot of time being kids, Right. Like, you know, we think we have to jam all this stuff in, you know, before they turn six or eight or whatever the random age is. But, you know, now that I have a 13 year old, I'm like, wow, I did not need to be sitting him down at six and and being like, okay, let's practice letter sounds. It's like, no, like give yourself the space and that ability to build that relationship and also that relationship to yourself as the educator. I think that entrepreneurial mindset is actually the winning ticket when it comes to homeschooling because mm-hmm. entrepreneurs are like aces at trying to figure out how to solve a problem. It's like, oh, I have this problem. What are my ways to solve it? I'm going to pick one and then I'm going to see if it worked. And if it didn't, I'm going to go back and try again. Well, that's exactly mm-hmm. what you do when you're teaching. It's like, okay, I want to help my child learn how to read. Okay, let's try this. Oh, that's not landing well. This is not working okay, what are my other options? What else can I try? And then you try something else and either it works or it doesn't work. So it's like hmm. a big experiment, really. Um, and I would, I, I'm quite, uh, kind of opinionated on this, but I would say that uh, that is exactly what is happening in the public education system as well. Even though okay. we feel like that's the system that works because it's been Does proven, it? 
does it and how has it been proven and who's asking the questions and who is saying, actually, is this working? Because I guarantee you it's not working for all those kids. I guarantee you I've been in 16 years worth of classrooms, special education, et cetera, et cetera. It is not right. And so I think that it's trusted because it's comfortable kind of like that nine to five job is trusted because it's comfortable. And like, once you make the jump out of that nine to five, all of a sudden this world opens up to you. You're like, oh my gosh, the possibilities here are amazing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It takes work, right? Like that entrepreneurial mindset takes work and you have to keep showing up for it, but it's so much more rewarding, so much more fun. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's really the same. Like, like I just see, like I said to you earlier, those, these worlds are tandem, right? The entrepreneurial okay. world and mindset along with this homeschooling mindset. It's really a divesting from, shall I say, capitalist systems, right? Systems that keep you stuck in your little box, whether it be a nine to five or a classroom or a particular grade level or a particular curriculum or whatever it is. Mm. Are you tired of questioning your content before posting it? Wish you had an expert by your side to provide valuable feedback and ensure that your content shines. Introducing Content Confidence, a new service designed to help you elevate your content game. Say goodbye to second guessing and hello to expert guidance. With Content Confidence, you'll have the power to submit your content for review before it's posted. You'll receive personalized feedback and recommendations to help you craft captivating social media posts, bios, pin posts, lead magnets, content strategies, and more that's going to resonate with your audience. Don't let uncertainty hold you back. Gain the confidence to create content that stands out and achieves remarkable results. Join Content Confidence today and unlock your content potential. Elevate your content game by visiting brittanymillersocials.ca slash content dash confidence to learn more and get started. So hearing you talk about how similar they are gives me more comfort that it, it is something that I could do should I choose to do that. My biggest thing was how do I manage a business and also teach my child? Because my, I guess, incorrect assumption was that if they were in school from nine until three 30, then I would need to be like educating them from nine until three 30, which is when I work. So like, how does that work together? But it sounds like it's not, it doesn't need to be that strict or that rigid, which would give you the flexibility to kind of do both at the same time. Oh yeah. I think honestly, if there's any job that would work well together, it would be entrepreneur parent with a child who's homeschooled. And the reason why is because both have that flexibility and you're absolutely right. When you say it's mindset, right? Like it's all about how we view the way it should look. Right. Mm-hmm. I know. I think, I think it's a book. There's a book called like the 90 minute school day. I know a lot of families who just do, you know, their schooling in the morning. So if you're looking for something more traditional where you want to cover math, language, science, social studies, that you can do that all in a morning. You don't have to teach everything every day. A little bit of insider information would be that in the school day at school, a whole lot of time gets wasted, a ridiculous amount mm-hmm. of time. Ridiculous. Like all your transitions take time. The in and out of a lesson takes time. So let's say I was teaching a 40 minute period on social studies. I would plan about 30 minutes of content. About 10 of that would actually be teaching time and 20 minutes would be the child doing the children in the class doing an activity. Right. You have your lead in and your lead out. Right. So 
it's yeah, because you have set up and you have to get the kids in from recess and they have to take their coats off and then da, 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 and then so and so had a fight. OK, take out your silent reading books. I have to deal with this. Like there's just so mm. much leak leakiness <laughs> in the classroom setting because you're mm. trying to get 30 kids. OK, that's maybe exaggerating 25 kids to all coalesce and do the same thing at the same time. So what I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier is when you're one to one or even like I have three children. So three to one, I could get through a math lesson that would take me probably 60 minutes with a class. I can do that with three kids on three different programs in 30 minutes, 20, 20 minutes. Wow. Because okay. you're answering their question right away. So instead of that kid sitting in the back with their hand up for 15 minutes while you're trying to help the kid in the front row. And then you finally get back to them. Meanwhile, they've wasted all that time waiting. Now they have a whole bunch of homework that they take home that you then have to take up the next day. It's like, I'm mm. looking at my kid's page. I'm like, got it, got it, got it, got it. Done. Next page. Answer your question. Next question. Right? Like, it's just the interfacing is so much quicker, right? It's not your your child is not waiting. They're not trying to be held back because they're faster than the group or sped up when they're not ready to go faster because they're not up Mm -hmm. with the group, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's so, so much of education is about trying to keep everybody in sort of this standardized pocket, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of energy is spent bringing up the lower kids and slowing down or occupying the higher kids so that you can Mm -hmm. all move together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so homeschooling just individuates and allows you to address exactly what you need to do when you need to do it. So when you see that your child is ready to read, you know, I've heard stories of unschoolers where their child, you know, doesn't read until age eight, nine, 10, and then they pick up Moby Dick and they read it hmm. because they're ready because their aptitude is there and they're ready for it. Right. Okay. So instead of trying to force a kid, force a kid, force a kid, it's like, oh, we're going to wait until the child is ready. And then when they're ready, they're going to pick it up and run. Now, that doesn't account for somebody who's maybe suffering uh, with dyslexia or dysgraphia or something like that. but. It just, it makes sense to me from the standpoint of giving the child the opportunity to be the leader in their learning mm-hmm. instead of the the teacher or the system, right? Yeah. Yeah. I like that a lot. And like today I was like driving my kids over to my mom's because they go there two days a week. So kind of schooling or learning pot, I guess you could say. And Talia was like, mommy, can we go to the library today? I want to pick up my first book on cheetahs. I was like, like, where did that come from? But like, okay, we'll try and fit in a trip to the library sometime this week so that we can learn about cheetahs. Like, why not? And I like having the, like, not only the flexibility to do that because she's interested in it, but the knowledge that she's interested in it. That's what I'm worried about. If she goes to school, I can't say that I'm crazy about the fact that it's Monday to Friday, nine to three. That seems like such a long time to be away from my child that has never been separated from me since Mm -hmm. she was born. I'm worried I'm going to lose a lot of that connection with her to know what she's interested in, because by the time she gets home from the school day, she's probably going to be like mentally spent. <laughs> so there's just, there's a lot of things that concern me about it. And one of the questions that I was going to ask you is how we prepare our children for homeschooling or alternative learning if we wanted to do that. But it actually sounds more like uh, the question should be, how do we prepare ourselves as parents for that? You know, if there are certain things that we need to get like tools or resources or any tips for mindset, it sounds like that's the biggest thing you're, you're uh, talking about us feeling like we're 
I don't want to say not teaching our children, but like kind of that. And I feel like that's a concern that I would definitely have because it's a concern I have as a parent already. And I'm not even officially homeschooling her, but like, am I doing right by her? Am I teaching her how to manage her her emotions and all those things? So what's your advice for parents in kind of that capacity? Yeah, well, I love that you reframed that question because the whole idea that we need to prepare our children for homeschooling is actually rooted in schooling. Because what we have Mm -hmm. to prepare our kids for is that separation and is for going to school Monday to Friday and being removed Mm -hmm. from the home. So I would argue that you're already homeschooling your daughter and that trip to the library to learn about cheetahs is exactly what she needs. And Mm -hmm. if she were in the school system as the teacher, I have done this to kids and it breaks my heart. It's like we're not learning about cheetahs right now. Ouch. Ouch right? It's like, okay, the child has that innate desire and they want to learn it. There's no room for that because we're learning about plants and you're going to have to label a plant and put stem and root and petal. Mm -hmm. And then that kid who's interested in plants, instead of being able to like dig around in the dirt and look at the roots, they have to write on a worksheet, petal, root, stem. So again, going back to that mindset thing, I think the biggest thing I would recommend is just start asking questions. Why do I think school has to look this way? What am I worried about? What do I think my child is going to struggle with? What are the areas that I don't think I'm going to be able to address well? Because I mean, we Mm -hmm. all have our weaknesses, right? It's like, I am not very good at history. Not, I do not remember dates. Well, I just don't. It's like, Mm -hmm. goes right out of my ears. Um, My husband does. So I happen to be lucky because my partner is able to pick up that piece, but you might not Mm -hmm. have that in your home, right? You might not have um, somebody who can pick up the pieces where you don't. So I would just start Mm -hmm. thinking about that. Okay. Well, where are the things, where are my fears here? What of those fears are actual and what of those fears are, are solvable, Mm -hmm. right? So For example, uh, this is an example I use all the time, but one of the things that I was sad about when my kids weren't going to school is a very trivial thing, especially in hindsight. But when my son was little and we were like, oh yeah, he won't go. We kept him home for kindergarten. Then we kept him home another year for kindergarten. And then we kept him home for grade one. And then we just kind of never changed our mind. But I was like, oh man, he's going to miss out on his school pictures. Right. Like I love looking back at my school pictures, like year after year after year, I have these things. So that was something that I really valued. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, he's not going to have his picture year after year. Well, I just started taking a picture every fall. We just have picture day and I just solved the problem. But it's like, unless you ask the question, what am I worried about here? Right. I was worried he was going to miss out on that (laughs) yearly photo. And and that's a trivial example, but I like those ones sometimes because it makes it really clear like, oh, right. That's Mm -hmm. kind of a silly thing in a way to be worried about, but it's also a solvable thing. Likewise Mm -hmm. with the history. Ooh, I'm worried my kids aren't going to understand history well, because I'm not going to, we'll get some audio books or sign them up. There's so much available. Like if there were ever a time to homeschool, this is the era we have internet. We have availability for like free video content on YouTube. There's so much Mm -hmm. great stuff, history videos. You can just pull up and, you know, a kid can learn more in five minutes than, you know, in a week of my history class at school because we're reading from (laughs) a dry textbook. Like, and how do kids learn best, right? They want to learn. They learn best when they want to learn um, and they learn best when it's given to them in a way that is exciting for them. Mm -hmm. And I would say that school, and again, I'm very opinionated on this, but I would say school (laughs) misses the mark on both of those. 
Again, with the Mm -hmm. cheetah example, no, sorry, we can't do cheetahs right now. That's not what we're doing. And we're also using archaic methods of teaching. We're talking about a system that was designed 150 years ago. You tell me Mm -hmm. where the upgrade has happened there. Like we have not really gotten (laughs) to school 2.0. We're still same. Um, So we're teaching with textbooks. We're teaching with a talking head at the front of the room. And yes, Mm -hmm. you know, being in there, I know that we're trying to, you know, teachers are trying to integrate things and I'm not knocking teachers at all uh, because I'm Mm -hmm. one of them. And I was doing that job and I know how hard it is. Um, But just to try to capture the attention of children who are then going home and playing video games all night. It's like, well, there's not really a contest there, right? It's like Mm -hmm. school's really dry and boring and we're not really, you know, we're not really able to explore and experiment there. And it all Mm -hmm. goes back to the way that the system's designed. That kids are moving through in these cohorts of 25 kids or whatever, and they all have to kind of stay at the same level. And that that kind of idea of um, keeping everybody standardized. So that's mm-hmm. that whole concept of standardization and moving people together as a group. That's kind of systemically what what causes that. I feel like I lost the train of thought there about what your original question was. I kind of went on a side tangent. So did I catch all the pieces that you wanted me to cover there? I think so. Yeah. And like, as you were saying that one of the things that kind of came up for me is I know a lot of parents, including myself, are considering the public school system due to financial constraints. It seems very expensive to homeschool. I don't know if you've ever done like any sort of calculation on it, but do you know what you would spend on like school supplies or like trips for things like that, like to the zoo, if she wanted to go and see a cheetah in person uh, to know kind of what we should budget for to see if it's a financially feasible option for us? I would say budget for a lot of groceries. Um, <laughs> it can be, I'm not kidding. Uh, Cause your kids are in the house all day, right? So they're grazing. Yeah, but fair. I would say it's not really financially that different than what you would do for your child's preschool, right? Okay. If your child, if you wanted to take her to the zoo, you'd take her to the zoo, right? So you just choose differently. So when your mm-hmm. child is little, it may be like, oh, let's go to Storybook Gardens or like some, you know, fun local thing that you do. Maybe Mm -hmm. now that they're homeschooling, you choose something that has more of an educational component to it, right? Or the child Mm -hmm. is interested in like pioneer. So you go to the pioneer village instead of a water park. Mm -hmm. So you, you don't have to necessarily invest a lot there. And like I was saying before, like there's so much as far as free resources online, you don't even necessarily need to follow curriculums. You can find mm-hmm. stuff a lot of times used as well. So if you wanted something oh. like a math curriculum, uh, they have all kinds like Facebook is amazing for like networking with local people. I'm part of many like curriculum swaps. So for example, mm-hmm. um, people are done with their spelling curriculum. And so they post it on there and then you can buy it used uh, from mm-hmm. them. And then you just maybe have to buy the workbook. I would say if you're going to run a program, let's just think our math books are about $25 each and the students go through two of those a year because it's part A and B for the one we're using. There is a teacher's manual. I don't use it because I don't need it. But if you are new to it, a lot of them walk you through step by step what to do. They're so awesome. Like a lot of the homeschooling curriculum far surpasses what they create for teachers in the classroom. I don't know why they don't use, honestly, some of the homeschool curriculums in the public school because it just gets right to the nuts and bolts instead of all this like extra flowery, like 
the latest research says kids should be working in groups. So then you have this whole thing about like how to get your kids to work in groups. It's like the whole structure of it is just not there. Like you don't have all that weird structural. This is how you make 30 kids do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So you get right to the the meat and potatoes of it. And then so I think the teacher manual is like $50. So that's like $100 for math, let's say. Um, and I'm just ballparking. And this is based on the one that I use called uh, it's called Singapore math. Uh, we use the mm-hmm. standards edition for that. And then uh, in language, I use daily language review, which is like a $28 book they write in. And that's mm-hmm. what we do. So, and I found PDF versions for free online. <laughs> so okay. I just found them and printed them. So I didn't even pay for those. But um, for some people that would be um, copyright issue, right? Depending on mm-hmm. on your personal values and ethics there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can also borrow things from the library. So for example, we use also uh, Bob Books, which is a scholastic program. A lot a lot mm-hmm. of libraries carry that in their library system. Mm-hmm. So you can just borrow it and go through the books and that helps kids learn how to read. So there's a lot out there for free. And so if financial concern is like the number one reason to not do it, I would say just really investigate that fear and investigate again. What are your options? It's like, okay, if you have this mm-hmm. fear, what are the t- what are the ways you can solve that? And can mm-hmm. you find a solution that's going to actually address your problem? Right. right. Okay. So it's a problem solution issue, I would say more so than than cost. Now, if if the reason it's cost prohibitive is because both of you like both I shouldn't say both. If the parent or parents or whoever is caring for the child needs to work outside of the home, and that is the income, and therefore you don't have time, and then your childcare offset doesn't match the income that you can make, then you're in trouble, right? If we're talking about like curriculum, field trips, this kind of thing, uh, you can do it with like very low budget, sub 500 a year, easily, easily. Yeah, easily. Like, like I was just saying, our math curriculum and language, like I'm doing that for, well, I don't even buy the workbook. So I'm doing $50 per child. So with three kids, that's 150 hmm. for my curriculum books. And then we're doing a field trip this year, a couple field trips. So that's, yeah, I don't know. Depends where you go. Like we're going to a play, so that's going to be expensive. So that's like $20 each for that. And then we're going to be going to a Renaissance festival. And I think for the educational day, it's like $12 a kid. So it's, it's really, it's not that much. (laughs) And if you can get yourself into a co-op, sometimes there's co-op fees. Like I think our co-op was $80 or $90 and, but usually homeschoolers know, right? Because either you're a single parent family trying to make it work, or you only have one person working. So homeschooling families are just, in general across the board very frugal so they're looking for cost effective options yeah <laughs> it's like so nice to hear that this is literally just fears that i have generated in my head and i'm sure i'm not the only one because i've talked to other parents that have considered it too and they're just like just not really sure it's a good fit and it just seems like maybe the solution is that we didn't have enough information to effectively make the decision in the first place Yeah. I think Uh, what you said earlier about like not knowing what you don't know, I think that's really uh, one of the biggest barriers because a lot of people don't know some of the information that I'm sharing or what it looks like, right? If you don't know a family who's homeschooling, it just feels like this secret world. It's like, what are people doing? What does this even look like? And because honestly, every single household looks different, right? Mm -hmm. What your homeschooling household would look like very different than mine. And I think that's the beauty of it is that it can fit your family. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I like that a lot. And especially too, because my girls are only 15 months apart. Now, obviously I know that doesn't apply to most other families, but they're very close in age. And uh, one of my bigger concerns too, is how the transition would be on my youngest daughter who does not know life outside of her sister. Like they're never separated unless they have a doctor's appointment. So we're talking like two times a year and they're always like, where's my sister? Where'd she go? Why isn't she here? Why can't I go with her? And I feel like they would do well if they could be in a learning environment together and she would pick things up as her sister was learning things naturally too. Yes. And that's honestly something that breaks my heart um, because I've seen it time and time again where siblings are super close and then they head to school and then they are on different playgrounds or they're in different classes and then all of a sudden it's not cool to talk to your sister and then they (laughs) snub each other on the yard and it's just like, ouch, right? Like, That's the Mm -hmm. most important relationship on that schoolyard, I guarantee you, is the one with the Mm -hmm. sister. And so if we're choosing then to send our child to an environment where we're going to have to choose peers over sibling relationships, it's like, ooh, is that the best choice, right? So again, it's like Mm -hmm. asking those questions and just like opening our eyes and being like, actually, it is really good for siblings to be tight, right? Mm -hmm. It is not necessarily in their best interest to say, hey, go to school and separate, be in your separate class. Yeah. So now I'm curious with your learning pods, is there like a certain age minimum? Like I assume if I wanted to send Talia to a learning pod and then do some homeschooling, like I know some moms do, I probably wouldn't be able to send both of them. Right. No. Well, it depends on the learning pod, right? Because there's some that are Mm -hmm. geared towards kindergarten. I know there's one happening in London that's kindergarten only. Um, Our learning pod, because it's a forest school based, we do very extensive hiking and like we're climbing over logs and we're out in minus 20 weather. So we're, you know, (laughs) we're we're kind of like a league of our own in terms of that. So we we do uh, start kids only at age six um, just Mm -hmm. because they can't often handle the physicality required for our program. Mm -hmm. And then we have, you know, our oldest is my son, who's 13. And Mm -hmm. so we, you know, we want the group to kind of be able to keep up with each other within reason. Mm -hmm. But that having been said, like, just back to that social thing that we were just speaking about a moment ago with siblings, it's like my 13 year old son really enjoys playing with the six year olds. And I Mm -hmm. see a different side of him and he learns different skills. So Mm -hmm. this whole again with the fears is like this whole idea that we have to have same age peers and that's how kids learn. That was invented for school. 150% invented for school. If you look back Mm -hmm. at why that came into being, it's so that they could herd people, right? Oh, Mm -hmm. we can standardize people and move them through this system in a way that works for us so that we can have a large number of kids. There isn't actually a lot of evidence showing that same age peer socialization is actually helpful. And there are several studies that show that it's actually harmful. So Mm -hmm. we just accept it because that's what we are dealt, right? It's like, oh, This is, you know, this is how learning should look, Mm -hmm. but it isn't necessarily. I was going to say from a business perspective, I learn more from the people that have been in business longer than me and traditionally are older than I am as well. So if I was in a room of, you know, other 29 year old entrepreneurs, I'm not saying that I wouldn't learn anything, but I feel like I may learn less because we would all be in a similar stage of our business, probably like less than three years. We're still figuring things out. And And we would do better in business if we were talking to people that have been in business for five years and kind of have more of that long-term perspective. So I can see how that would, the same would apply for kids in a learning environment as well. Yes. And I'm thinking too about that. 
um, and how that person who has been in business for longer and is giving you advice that they're mm-hmm. actually learning as well because they have to um, consolidate their learning and be able mm-hmm. to communicate that. And doesn't that help us, right? Like, you know, I'm thinking as we're speaking on this podcast, is like how we um, how we kind of bring those thoughts together and present them to somebody else also helps us, right? As somebody mm-hmm. who's being the helper. So we often think like, oh, well, that older child is then going to be, you know, not as stimulated, but they're getting different types of education through that. It's like, oh, how do we have sensitivity to somebody who doesn't know as much as us? How do we teach them? Mm-hmm. How do we lead them forward? So there is so much opportunity actually with with uh, mixed peer groups that people don't talk about because that's not how school does it. <laughs> that is very true. Very sad, but very true. It's, it's just, this conversation is just blowing my mind. And, uh, on a personal note, Grayson, you can cut this out of the podcast, but I'm glad that we're having this conversation because the entire reason we haven't like officially dived into like homeschooling or alternative learning is because Grayson, mm-hmm, you're listening because you're editing is not hundred percent on board. So I'm hoping throughout this conversation that some of what we've talked about is going to help him at least address the fear so that we can have a conversation about it. Cause right now it's just been, we can't handle this. No, we're not doing yes. it. Well, and again, it's that fear response coming up and that's because we have normalized so much of what happens in schools that we forget that we can question it. We forget that there's another way, just like Mm -hmm. we normalize so much this nine to five work week, right. Or going and working for somebody else that when you step into entrepreneurship, you get that same unease, right. That fear of like, can I do this? Can I handle it? What do I do? What does it look like? right? Like all those questions are actually just rooted in fear. That's actually just the fears. And some fears you can not solve, right? Some of them, they don't really have an easy resolution. Like for example, is my child going to come out of this? Okay. Are they going to have a good life? Mm -hmm. You can't answer that because nobody can tell the future. Mm -hmm. But if you were to ask the same question of the school system, can you honestly answer that as well? Can you honestly answer when my kid gets to the end of high school, are they going to be okay? You don't know what's going to happen to them on that journey. Nobody can. So a lot of the Mm -hmm. fear questions that we can't actually answer couldn't be answered no matter where you're getting educated, because Mm -hmm. I will be frank with you that there's no perfect education system and school is the right place for some kids. Some kids absolutely thrive there. I've coached parents who have, you know, we've tried homeschooling because the parent really wanted to homeschool. Uh, But then as we've worked through it and we've tried different things with their child, it turns out that the child actually really just wants to be in that schooling environment Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Right? Like there's nothing wrong. There's nothing inherently wrong. It's just, I think you need to know where your blind spots are. You need to know where they are for homeschooling. And you also need to know where they are for the public education system. I think the problem is that people will ask those questions a lot more readily of homeschooling than they ever would of the regular system. And so when you Mm -hmm. kind of take a critical look at the mainstream schooling system, then you say, oh, wait a minute, it's not perfect either. If we're going Mm -hmm. for not perfect, which is my better option, or sometimes which is the least bad option, right? (laughs) Nothing, nothing's perfect and nothing's easy. I mean, it's kind of like, raising kids in general. (laughs) Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. So what indicators would parents look for in their children, whether it's at homeschool or uh, in a traditional school system that would indicate, you know, my child is thriving in this environment, this is good for them or they're not so that we can kind of course correct. I would say definitely just reading your kids cues. 
right? So if your child starts into school and you see the light go out of their eyes or they don't want to go or they have trouble getting out of the house in the morning or they're not excited about it or even just these are the saddest ones. I might tear up here, but like um, losing that desire to learn. They don't want to go to the library anymore. They aren't excited about what they're learning, right? And that happens in both environments. Like I was saying, I've coached parents and, and in the homeschooling environment, they were not able to thrive or get excited about what they were learning. It's like the kid needed that structure or actually more so, I think it was like the peer social relationships and that peer mm-hmm. pressure to learn things because the child just didn't have like an innate drive to learn. Uh, but what I would say is that most times that drive to learn is there with our littles, right? Like mm-hmm. you're seeing in your daughter with the cheetahs. And that school is one of the reasons why they lose that because they're told over and over and over, this is how you learn. This is what it should look like. You know, this is how we draw a flower. (laughs) You know, it's like, actually, there's a million ways you can draw a flower. It doesn't need to look like the teacher's version of that. And so Mm -hmm. that performance, just watching those performative pieces and how is your child responding to that? Uh, Because it can go the other way too, where your child loves school because they're getting that positive reinforcement because they're very good at performance, but then it kind of tips over into perfectionism. And then they get kind of that unhealthy relationship with performance, which a lot of entrepreneurs have as well, right? It's like, well, I have to have the perfect website before I release it. And like all that entrepreneurial (laughs) mindset stuff that holds us back, that perfectionist stuff Mm -hmm. is actually one of the threads because we have a curriculum, because we have a standard, because we have a, a... bar that we're jumping over. It's like, jump over that bar, jump over that bar, but it's always somebody Mm -hmm. else's bar. It's never ours. So Mm -hmm. just watching their relationship basically with learning and with, with themselves. And that's very nuanced, right? Like I wouldn't say, and that's going to be child to child. It's going to look different Mm -hmm. about how they respond. And, and even what you were speaking about earlier is like your connection with your kid and knowing what they're into right now. Are they still talking to you about the things that they love or are they shutting down when they get home from school? You say, how was your day? And like, meh. And then they go off on into their room and want to be by themselves. It's like, well, what is actually important there? And this depends on your family values, right? Uh, For us, it matters more to me that I'm present with my child and I have that connection intact. That matters more to me than anything my kid might've learned that day in school. And that's why we choose to homeschool. So for me, it's a no brainer because I want to keep that connection intact. And I want that, that ability to participate in their life, essentially, right? I don't want to farm Mm -hmm. that out. I want to do that work myself. So Mm -hmm. it really just depends on you as a parent and your child and their aptitude and the way that we, in which they meet the world um, and how you see it affecting them. And it's not, there's not really a clear answer there either. Um, I'm really terrible at giving clear answers because I don't. I, re- I really kind of live in the gray areas. I don't think there's a right answer and a wrong answer. I mm-hmm. don't think homeschooling is for everyone. And I don't think sending kids to school is the right answer for everyone either. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's really good to hear though, honestly, because, you know, there's no manual that comes with parenting. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense that there isn't a manual that comes with homeschooling, although there is curriculums, but like, uh, there's only so much that a curriculum can tell you that you know, gives you an indication that your child is doing well in this environment. But yeah, that was, that was really helpful. I feel like there are probably a hundred other questions that we could ask on this topic, but I would love to just kind of 
wrap up by asking a little bit more about you um, and your podcast and family yields in general for anyone that's interested in connecting with you and learning more. I know that you have a fantastic course, which has been on my to-do list, but summer has been so busy uh, that helps parents kind of identify whether or not homeschooling is the right option. So if you could kind of share how people connect with you and where they can find that resource, that would be fantastic. Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, So I have a website, which is familyyields.com. And on my website, there's links to all my products. So the one you just mentioned is called Should I Homeschool? And it's a five-day challenge where I go through with you kind of five days worth of little tiny exercises. They're meant to take, you know, 10, 15 minutes to unpack some of the mindset and to address head-on some of these fears, right? Like, what is it that's stopping you? from choosing to homeschool. What are these things that, you know, you're afraid your kid's not going to get and how are you going to solve those? Mm-hmm. And if you get to the end of that and you're like, wow, the list of things I can't solve here is really big. Um, <laughs> then, you know, maybe sending your child to school is the right choice. People who have done that challenge have come out of their homeschooling, sending their kid to private school, going to public school. It's not prescriptive. What it is, is about you sitting down and taking that time to go through your values, and the fears and trying to just get clarity about where you stand and what is going on, right? Mm -hmm. When you know what's going Mm -hmm. on, then you can find solutions. So that one is listed on the website. Following that, if you do choose to homeschool, I have a course called uh, the Homeschooling Empowerment Course. And it is for, I wrote it for me. I wrote it for the me that was like 20 years ago. As I was thinking about these things, actually, I probably didn't even think about it till my son was about two. But I wanted something that was like a peek into the homeschooling life. What does this look like? What can this look like? And also because I'm a teacher as well, I put it together so I could kind of jump off of each other and say, okay, this is what homeschooling looks like. This is what schooling looks like. Here are the ways Mm -hmm. that you can kind of de-school a little bit and that type of thing. So that's a really great course for people who are just starting to homeschool. And that one has several modules. It's a really robust course and it goes through kind of the functional details, right? Like those supplies you need to buy and what kind of things you should be looking for. I take you on a tour of my homeschool room, show you the curriculums I use. Just so it's like having the friend, right? Having the friend who's the homeschooler. Um, And then the whole second part of the course is the mindset work. What do I need uh, for myself? How do I do self-care while I am homeschooling, right? How do I set boundaries? What can I expect of my kids? How do I find resources in my community? All that kind of stuff. So that one is also available on my website. Um, I also offer coaching services for people who are just getting into it so I can help people with some of the de-schooling mindset stuff. But then also I coach for parenting as well as inner work, as I was saying before, because I think a lot of these things are threads which run through our whole lives. Like if I am feeling maybe not good enough or not equipped to be a homeschooling educator, that really comes from my own self-esteem, right? My own ability to meet the world and be like, okay, I've got this, or I know how to solve these problems. So a lot of it for me is integrated. And so when I do coaching, I can focus with clients just on one particular thing, like parenting, homeschooling. Mm. Uh, But generally we find we talk about inner work things as well, and sort of these fears that are coming up and working through some of the mindset stuff. I do have a podcast. It's called Family the Family Yields Podcast. And on that, I really kind of edge towards the permaculture side of things where I talk about things that are coming up. Like, I don't even know. I can't think of a topic I've talked about, but I I use <laughs> I talk. I talk a lot. I use <laughs> the permaculture principles to frame 
what I'm talking about in parenting or what I'm talking about with Mm. homeschooling. So I know uh, one of my most popular ones is uh, connecting with our kids and ourselves. And that whole idea that we have these feedback loops and and cyclical ways that we're meeting the world. And so I talk about it through the lens of nature and the permaculture principles. So my podcast is really permaculture, social permaculture based, and then Mm -hmm. tying those threads to the various things I talk about. I'm very active on Instagram. So if you are on Instagram, you can follow me on Family Yields. And yeah, I put up three posts a week and then every day I do stories where I curate basically other people's thinking on a topic. And Mm -hmm. I really, I I love to be able to bring together threads from various different people to kind of coalesce them into like almost like a mini essay. Yeah. So I curate Mm -hmm. every day. (laughs) Every day I'm, wow. So busy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yes and no. I take that time before I get up. It's like my me time. Okay. You know, like. I'm obsessed with this stuff. I can't stop. So that's like my mom time before I get up and meet my kids in the morning. Like I, I mm-hmm. stay in, in my room until seven and I, well, sometimes it's closer to eight. Anyway, I work on my stuff <laughs> in the morning uh, before I get up mm-hmm. and start my day. And then I kind of put it down while I'm present with my kids. And then, yeah, it works. It works for me. Right. Again, you've mm-hmm. got to find the boundaries and the pockets of time that you have and then uh, make the most of it. So mm-hmm. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with us. I definitely walked away with so much information that I am excited to like percolate on over the next little while when we make some decisions. Uh, And I hope our listeners did as well. So I just want to say thank you again. And uh, I hope that we'll be able to connect and chat again soon. That would be wonderful. Thanks so much, Brittany. Thank you so much for tuning in to Go Get Great. I hope you found some useful tips and tricks that can help you make life and business work together. If what I said resonates with you, please share it on social media and don't forget to tag at Brittany Miller Socials so that I can celebrate you for taking those first steps towards achieving greatness. Remember, success doesn't happen overnight. It takes dedication, hard work, and a lot of spirit. So don't be afraid to dream big and go after what you want. Keep striving for greatness. You get closer with every step forward, no matter how small they may seem. Until next time, go get great.